Money Talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. I'm Kat. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with with tax tax benefits. We are here to sound off about write-offs. To get wise about wealth building. And take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax. So obviously this is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your tax professional. In each episode, we'll share real talk about money with our personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. Did the lawyers make you say that, Kat? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk. Call your financial professional later because it's time to talk tax, friends. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Friends with Tax Benefits with my two friends, Lauren and Kat. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. I want to shake it up a little bit this week. I want you to take a minute and I want you to think of the craziest efforts you went through to raise some cash fast. And I'm going to give you some examples of two things I did. Um, The most desperate cash raising efforts I ever tried outside of terrible jobs, detasseling corn or polishing metal in a factory for 10 hours a day. When I was in college, I needed to keep my CD collection growing. And so I used to donate plasma twice a week. uh, (laughs) And uh, 20 bucks the first donation, 15 the second each week. And then when we were pregnant with our first child, my wife wanted a doula and that was like $500. And I'm like, goodness, you know, like that's, I don't, we don't have $500. So I sold all my collectible seven inch records that I'd been, you know, collecting for forever, surprisingly made a ton of money. And then she needed a C-section. So we didn't need a doula anyways. And so all that money went into the general fund. So, so plasma and, and record sales were, were what I did. Do, do you two ever do anything crazy to raise some cash fast? Well, first of all, Daniel, doulas now, you said it was $500. Tack on at least another zero on that end of what is running nowadays yeah. <laughs> for a doula on the low end, okay? So <laughs> um, I can't say that personally, like for my own self that I did some crazy things to raise funds, but I was in a sorority and we used to have to raise money for our um, like nonprofit philanthropic efforts or whatever. And we had to get creative because you couldn't keep doing the same things all the time. And I think one of the most like, you know, I felt vulnerable moments was I was selling like, and like now to think about it, I was like, what? But we were selling cupcakes for donations. So like whatever somebody wanted to give a cupcake for, honestly, the the best people who were buying the cupcakes were people who were probably not interested in the cupcakes at all. But Exactly, yeah. We're just trying to have a moment to chat yes. <laughs> and would buy a cupcake. But yes, um, now I am a sucker if I see kids or youth selling anything, even if I don't want it, I'm liable to just give them some money if I have cash on hand. Keep the cupcake. What about you, Lauren? I love the plasma reference. I had a lot of friends in college who also <laughs> sold plasma. I thought about like selling my eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I think most women have when you see how much they're going for, Lauren. You're like, dang, really? <laughs> I'm college educated. I, I didn't go through with it, but I definitely thought about yeah. it like pretty seriously. So the only thing I've really done to get cash really quickly like that, I did drive an Uber as a way to make some extra money for a trip I was taking with my sister to Turkey. So I just wanted some extra spending money and thought, you know, let me just Uber for a while, see what it's like, get some extra money. So that was really an experience. (laughs) Well, our wonderful producers recommended a show to me 
called Broad City. And in this show, Alana and Abby, they wanted to see Lil Wayne and they didn't have enough money. And so they were hustling all over the city and and they're in New York City. And it wouldn't surprise me if they had to go across state lines, but they were like, we're, we're filching some office supplies and returning it to the store from their office. And uh, and all they got is store credit. And they're like, dang it, what am I going to do with this store credit? And playing the buckets in the street and, you know, trying to raise some dollars. But that is something I definitely would have done in college is play those buckets. And they made zero, zero dollars uh, doing that because a break dancer came and stole the show. And, and uh, you know, that person got all the money. And then finally, in the uh, climax of the episode, they uh, cleaned the apartment of a man who fetishized wearing a diaper and acting like a baby, but he only spoke baby talk, so he couldn't actually pay them. So in these these desperate attempts to uh, uh, raise money for Young Wheezy, um, it reminded me of my college life of uh, hustling um, all over the place. And in fact, you know, trying to maintain the scrappy lifestyle we were. And so <laughs> amazing. I have not seen Broad City, but I think we should clarify that if they wanted to see Little Wayne and Young Wheezy are not the same. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, as our friends Alana and Abby have reminded us that we've all done some pretty wild and uh, desperate things to make ends meet, such as getting in their car and driving to new states and um, finding new opportunities where they had never, never thought there were opportunities before um, in in a digital or uh, what do we call it? Analog um, nomadic life. And let's uh, turn it over to you, Kat, and learn from you about multi-state moving around and earning money and some uh, ways that we may not have thought of and what we need to think about tax implication wise or, or just smart finance wise. As it pertains to multi-state income, my biggest piece of advice is always going to be to seek an experienced tax professional because simply put, it's just not as straightforward and cut dry. So if you're moving around or if you're earning income in different places or you've, you know, decided to, you know, pack up and maybe rent out your place and you're living someplace else and you're really doing your own version of the digital nomad life, you could find yourself falling into a place where if you tried to do your taxes yourself, and I've seen it, you accidentally file the wrong form and you're getting taxed twice, or you misfiled it and you thought everything was great because the years went by and nobody's told you anything. And then you start getting mail that you're getting audited that you misreported income. And I say to go to an experienced tax professional because you might go to somebody and they're used to doing taxes in the state that you're from, but they're not used to uh, somebody who's been moving around a lot or has income in these different states. And some states even have a reciprocity agreement. So that's a fancy way of saying like they have a mutual agreement with themselves that between the two states that allow residents from one state to request an exemption from tax withholding in a reciprocal or in another state that they have that agreement with, right? So that's a way to help folks avoid, you know, possible double taxation. But then you've got other states where they're like, no, technically, I know you were living someplace else for a little bit, but you owe us money on all that income that was earned. So it's going to be really important to know how the income is handled for the states that you're moving around in. I would even say if you find yourself in recent times like, okay, well, I can work 100% remote. My company is allowing us to move wherever. 
maybe even talk to a tax professional ahead of time because what you might think might be advantageous or like, you know, a, a seller for a state that you're like, yeah, I'm going to move there. You might find yourself um, moving from a state like I live in Florida where we don't pay state income tax. And if I went to another state where the houses might be a little bit more affordable, I might find myself having to pay state income tax now. And that's not something that I was accustomed to. So if you are living hashtag van life and you're going from state to state, where's your van registered in? That's a good indication that you might have some residency requirements and state filing required for that state, right? Because those are one of those things. If you get audited and they're like, okay, well, let's determine where you are resident. They might ask you that like, hey, where are you registered to vote? Where is your car registered? Where do you see your dentist at? They'll use all those things to determine what your home state is, even if you don't think you have a home state. You're saying, or my statement, restatement is, hey, I'm moving to Texas because the taxes are cheaper than where I live. I think that's the case. And I drive my gorgeous uh, minivan there and say, I'm going to do hashtag minivan life out of Texas. But if I don't change the registration, I, for all intents and purposes, even if I sublet out my house for all intents and purposes, I still live in California. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. California could put you on the hook. Well, hey, your car's registered out of here. You've paid registration fees and um, you've got a tag and likely a driver's license from here as well. So those are things that typically attach you to a state, right? If you had the intention to make Texas your new home, you should change your driver's license. Typically, that's a rule in the state that once you're there within 10 days, you have a new place, you need to reestablish that. So even though you've you know maybe not gotten caught for having a driver's license or pulled over for being an out-of-state plate, those are things that could consider you a resident of those states, right? And I know folks have even gotten you know, hey, let's 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 take it outside of the United States for a moment, right? Like I'm completely off the grid. If I'm tuned in when my team is tuned in, then that's fine. So if you decide to move overseas, you want to move someplace outside of the US, you're technically still required to file a tax return based on your worldwide income. As a US citizen or a US resident green card holder, you are required to file a tax return. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to have to pay taxes on all of the money in your worldwide income. There are some exemptions or deductions that you may qualify for up to a certain degree, but you are required to report it. So you are required to file a tax return at least at the federal level even still, maybe you have an address of record with your employer in the United States that they're sending all your mail to and where you might receive your W-2. In a residency audit, those things could be used to determine like you may be on the hook more than you think. Yeah. So I actually have had to file multi-state income several times. I haven't lived the hashtag van life or been a digital nomad, though I've thought about it, especially in the past couple of years since we've been working remotely. But after college, I went to college in Florida and then moved to Georgia. And I'll tell you, it was a bit of a challenge moving from a state with no state income tax. I don't think I realized the luxury of it. You know, uh, I remember my, my first paycheck, there's so much always taken out in taxes. And you're like, what? I was expecting this amount and then it's way less. And then you move to a state with income tax and it's even less than before. <laughs> so that was pretty painful. 
And then a couple of years ago, I moved from Georgia to California. And the income tax, I think, in California is even higher. So that's been quite a challenging reality check for me. So if I were to move again, I would definitely make sure that I planned ahead and kind of understood what the differences would be in state income tax to make sure that I could budget accordingly as I plan ahead for the move. It's not something I'd fully factored in when I made the leap to come from Atlanta to San Diego. Um, I know people who have had, we'll just call it like a San Diego salary. And they said, hey, this is too expensive or it's San Francisco salary. And they said, this is too expensive. And um, I, I want to work remotely and they moved to Wyoming. But their companies have said, well, that's cool. And I'm going to adjust your salary down um, to what it would be for a, you know, a Wyoming salary. And on the flip side, what I've seen, there are companies that have offices, you know, multiple offices all over the country. And if they live, for example, in a, um, a cheaper, a ch- a cheaper locale, and they said, you know, I'd really like to live in the Bay and I, and they, or I'd like to live in San Diego or, you know, Seattle. If it's an optional move and they just want to move there, the company says, we, you can work just fine in that cheaper place. And so they will adjust you down if you move to a cheaper place, but they won't adjust you up if there's no compelling reason why you need to be there. And so that's something to really think about is don't assume that, you know, that, that whatever business you're, you're working for is kind of just um, kind of bend to the whims of, of your moving because it's, it's a business. And so they're looking to, you know, be as conscientious about salaries as possible. There's some interesting uh, reciprocity challenges for people when they do move to a new state. Uh, my wife is a social worker. She's licensed credentialed social worker. And so she she can do you know therapy in Arizona where we used to live. But in California, it would be a tremendous um, cash outlay and all sorts of you know, red tape she would have to go through in order to do therapy here in California. Um, and, and similarly, um, I have a, a friend who was a, um, his wife was a nail tech actually in Florida. They moved to California and there was a, a year of classes to, to do nails in California, just, just through, you know, red tape. Um, and, uh, and so when you think about moving, I mean, all of these things that we've been talking about, which are, you know, cost of living or, you know, um, taxes, um, really research what, what, um, sort of credentialing or reciprocity, your new state, whether even if you're, you know, a teacher there, you know, you might have to go get recertified in that state. So really think about that. Um, because you may not be able to work um, while you're working to get that credential in that, in that new state. And I I like that you said teachers. Well, Daniel is an example, because I feel like sometimes the folks that think that they're more on the hook for maybe needing to figure out their license in a new state is like uh, more technical jobs. But it's a little bit of both. You'll see CPAs, lawyers, plumbers. Sometimes these states have made it requirements that you might have to have experience under somebody that's licensed in that state for a certain amount of time. Or like you said, in the example of the nail tech, go through almost a year training, which is probably comparable to the amount of training she had to do initially in Florida to start from zero, right? Even though she has years of experience. So you might be able to make more money doing your same job in another place, but how will your license translate over or how will your profession? This came up for a friend of mine. She lived abroad for over a decade teaching English overseas. And then she moved back to South Carolina and she'd applied to teach locally. And they essentially said, you need to have 
experience teaching in South Carolina to be paid at the level of 10 years of experience, right? So essentially these this years of working abroad don't even count at all here. And we're starting you off at an entry level salary, <laughs> which was significantly lower than she was anticipating. All right, Kat. So let me tee up a few questions for you and see if you can help our nomads or our travelers or our movers navigate their finances. Ready? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. If I work remotely 100%, which state is my best home base from a tax perspective? Your home base, as it pertains to your taxes, is going to be considered the state that you reside in or are domiciled in. So even if your work is 100% remote, it's likely that you're going to spend a majority of the year in a set place. So when I say majority, I literally mean more than half of the year. So more than 183 days in that year is typically the criteria that's used. Now, roughly 183 days. I like that, (laughs) Kat. If you chop the 365 in half, you're going to get that's going to put you over that halfway mark. Now, if you're considering moving because your job is now fully remote and you can be wherever, you might want to consider a state that doesn't collect state income tax as your next you know, home or place that you're going to reside in. And because that might be advantageous to you to not have to pay state income tax. And there are a handful of states, uh, Florida, one of them, that does not make you pay state income tax on your your earnings. So that might be something you want to consider if you're thinking of picking up and moving someplace else. Now, Kat, the next question has been upvoted 7 million times and is what is the definition of domicile? Uh, So domicile, you'll see it a lot sometimes in legal language or tax law, but it's used interchangeably with like residence. So it's a formal way of saying where you treat your permanent home to be or um, where you live in, where you have a substantial connection with. So they use that to sometimes helps folks who are moving around a bit to figure out like, where do you have roots and maybe you own property in there, maybe you have a business, maybe you have financial things tied back to that area. So that might be where you're considered to be domiciled or a resident of that area more commonly. So if I want to be fancy, I can also throw that out. Yeah, right definitely. On. All right. <laughs> um, I got to clean this domicile after this show. Uh <laughs> Full disclosure. Um, Okay, next question. What if I own an online business, but my warehouse is operated out of state? Is it where I reside, where my domicile is, or is it where my warehouse is? Where your business is registered, likely. So it's possible that you could be a business owner and you're a resident of New York, but you have a business built out anywhere. You're going to have a separate business tax return. So aside from your personal tax return, it's likely that your business is also going to have its own separate tax return. Now, if you're a smaller business and it's um, a pass-through entity, so it's like going through your own personal tax return, it really depends on how your business was established when you created it. Was it a partnership? Is it a corporation? Each of them have their own appropriate um, filing forms, but Generally speaking, your business has its own tax return separate from your personal income tax return. So 
that business will have to file a federal tax return with the IRS and then likely another business tax return with their state. All right, last one. And this is something that applied to me this past year. Um, How do you know how much you'll owe in a given state if you move mid-year, which is what we did last year? In that situation, it's likely that you're going to be considered a part-year resident in the state that you're leaving in and maybe a part-year resident in the state that you're going to. And the tax return is likely going to have you, you know, breaking it down to, I lived 146 days here, and then I live the rest of the year here, and then that money is, the money that you earned is split. Or maybe you had a job in one state and you were, that, you know, W-2 ended there, and then you started a new W-2 in a new state, and then that income was there. So you might essentially allocating which money was earned where. You want to make sure that you don't accidentally file a full year return for two states, and then in essence are getting taxed twice. And then there are some states that have an agreement with one another that if you paid taxes in this state, then there's, you know, some exemptions or deductions that you might qualify for on the other state's tax return. So having somebody that is familiar with it is going to be, you know, the type of income that you have, but also the states that you might have triggered a filing requirement for, because you want to make sure that it's divided appropriately. So it's not quite a simple, straightforward answer, but definitely contact a professional who has experience working with those various states to make sure you're filing the right type of tax form. And it used to be that you could deduct moving expenses, right? But didn't that law change a couple of years ago? You're right, Lauren. You used to be able to you know, deduct some of the expenses that you had as an employee that were not reimbursed. But with tax reform in like recent years, that's changed. So most companies, the way they handle folks relocating is you get some type of moving incentive or bonus, but then it comes back to you and you end up having to pay taxes on it. So... Well, as always, this is Friends with Tax Benefits, and I'm here with my good friends who have tax smarts, Lauren and Kat. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, you two and uh, all the listeners. And we look forward to seeing you for our final episode. Um, And be sure to check this out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all those other good places where you can listen to smart people like Lauren and Kat. And you too, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. Bye, y'all. Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast produced by Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall, Katharina Rickmans, and Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer, and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizzieri is our producer. Catherine Devine is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound engineer. Concept development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Isabel Moncloa Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. 